good to open God's Word with you again this morning. Certainly enjoyed some time with family over the last week. I hope you did uh, as well or were able uh, to do that. And um, it's good to be able to sit with my family and listen to the Word of God preached, but I always miss um, being on this end as well and opening the Word with you and um, doing that again. So excited about that. I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. It's on page 858 of the Bible in front of you there, if you want to use that one. Uh, we're taking a closer look at the songs surrounding the birth of Christ, the songs of the nativity, both before and after uh, the coming of Jesus, uh, songs that have been unique to Luke's gospel until this morning. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, you will also find in uh, the gospel of Matthew and Mark, um, provide just a little review, sort of building up to this song, uh, the identity of John the Baptist, the message, probably not something we would consider to be a song. Um, there's, well, there's no Latin title to it, so how can it really be a song? There's no Benedictus or, or Nunc Dimittis or um, Magnificat, uh, but the message that John his predicting, the message that he brings is clearly in line with the songs that we have heard uh, and looked at. And in fact, we may even be expecting this type of a message uh, after soaking in uh, those other songs. We've heard from Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, Spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She was in amazement at what God had done or would do through her and through this child uh, that she carries. And Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed His people. Um, So he blesses the Lord, and then he turns and blesses his baby son. You, child, will be the prophet of the Most High. So you have both of these babies, these these songs, that these babies grow up together. Um, One will be the prophet of the Most High, one the Son of the Most High. The angels confirm this. Uh, speaking to the shepherds, for to you um, in the city of David a Savior has been born. So the message is clear. The Savior has come. The King has arrived. The Son of the Most High uh, is in their midst. And it's something that the people have been waiting for. Um, Waiting for a Messiah. Uh, Waiting for a Son of David to take His place on uh, on the throne again. Waiting to... To, to just hear from the Lord, for God to say something, to do something in the midst of uh, all of this silence. And so that has happened with the arrival of these two babies. One to prepare the way, and one who is the way um, himself. Um, so the people are certainly ready uh, to hear this. So now it's about 30 years later. We see John doing what his father professed that he would do. He has a song, a message um, that must be heard, a message that we must hear. So I'm going to read the first uh, 18 verses of Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lusanius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. 
The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Marvelous conclusion uh, to the songs of this season, the word of John the Baptist. Let's pray. Lord God, you are working to accomplish your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for this living word that you give us, that you feed us with. A word that instructs us, encourages, admonishes. And so we pray now, Lord, that our hearts, minds would be submissive to this word. That you would show us your heart through this message of John the Baptist. Lord, help us in applying um, this uh, message to us in this place. Lord, we need the work of Your Spirit in us to do this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are some doors that are just not easy to walk through. There are some gates that are not just going to swing open because of who you are, who you're related to, or what your credentials may be. One of the most... uh, one of the more famous basketball players of the last couple of decades uh, was Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and uh, Shaq is, you know, he's seven foot something. Um, 
well over 300 pounds. You know, he's, he's a hard guy to miss in a crowd. We'll just put it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's one who, you know, he's, he's got it all. He's got the, you know, the, the fame, the fortune, um, the big smile, um, the, uh, the contract with Buick to sell Buicks, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, Shaq is a guy who's going to get into most places because of who he is, what he has accomplished. Um, and he decided to test this a few years ago. He was in Washington, D.C., so this was, this was a while back, and he was on a, a radio program. And he, he said to the radio host, hey, you know, I'm rolling in Washington, D.C., and I think the president really likes basketball. I'll just swing by the White House. Say hi. Um, and so he, he drives up, probably in a Buick, drives up to the gate of the White House with his big smile and his suit on, and he comes up to the security guards, and that's as far as he gets. Um, the doors didn't just swing open for Shaquille O'Neal. Um, so it didn't matter <laughs> you know, about his particular uh, status. He didn't have an appointment to see the president. Um, and so the guard said, sorry, it takes more than just showing up. And think of that, that scenario because it, that's the type of thing we see unfolding with the people who are coming out to see John the Baptist. They've known about John. They've known he's, you know, he's always been a little strange out there in the desert, but now he's, he's preaching and he has, you know, he's using baptism to go along with this message. And baptism may not have been entirely new or unique. There's some evidence of ritual washings from the the Qumran community and so forth, but certainly would have gotten their attention that John was doing this. So the Jewish crowd is growing around John, uh, who Luke very clearly identifies as a prophet. Uh, Verse 2, the Word of God came to John. You find that same language in other prophetic books like Jeremiah or Hosea or Micah. Like all the prophets of the Old Testament, John was appointed and sent by God. And consider what this would have meant for the people. They haven't heard from someone like this in a very long time. This was a big deal. So when Luke shares these, these words from the prophet Isaiah, you know, he's saying, here is the prophet that the prophet said was coming. John actually provides this link then for us between the Old Testament and the New Testament age. Preparing the people for the Son of God in their midst. And so they're coming out uh, to hear Him, you know, jump in the river to be baptized. They're Jews after all. Um, they are, are the chosen ones. And so it sounds like this is what must happen next. Okay, you're the prophet, John. We're the people, the line, you know, the patriarchs that were in their bloodline. So, you know, where do you want us to line up for this baptism? And then what John says to the people would have been even more shocking. Um, It would have really gotten their attention. He says, you know, I'm sorry, it takes more than just showing up. Actually, he says it a lot more, uh, a lot stronger than that. Brood of vipers, who warned you? This door doesn't just swing open. Because you expect it to. Or because you 
are of a certain ethnic heritage. More is required. You may be the ethnic sons and daughters of Abraham, but there is more to Abraham than lineage. And it's something that your heart needs. Okay, so that, that would have been a surprising word. Something that sort of, you know, was shocked to their system. Kind of redirected their uh, expectations. So they come to John now you know, confused. You know, if this baptism is what we need, well then let's do it. Why, why aren't, let's, let's be baptized. Many of them are following John. Thinking, well, John is, is the man. He's preaching, he's baptizing. Let's get him out of these rags that he's in. Maybe, maybe put a nice robe on him. Bring him into town. So we see there's, there's plenty of confusion here. Some misplaced confidence by the people. Different expectations. And, and I think this resonates with us. should. I mean, even though we are image bearers of the Creator God, we are distorted images. Our sin blinds us. It deafens us. It creates confusion over who we are and what God has made us for. It can even build a false confidence that if we do certain things, we've got our, our list of do's and don'ts, don't we? Or we're a part of this line, or maybe a part of this church tradition, then the door of God's favor and blessing should just swing open. Sin distorts our vision. Our expectations. What do we need to hear? What do we need to hear in the face of misplaced expectations? We need to hear this message. A message of repentance and renown from John. A song um, that he gives to us. So the refrain of this song is really, can be all summarized with one word, and that is to prepare. That's the refrain of John. If you enjoy Christmas dinner with family, you know it required some preparations either by you or by other people. Maybe you started you know, the meet the day ahead of time or uh, something like that. Everything was ready so that you could uh, enjoy that meal. So John calls the people to prepare. Prepare for the arrival of the Lord's salvation, which he then symbolized uh, in this baptism. Um, it's a salvation that demanded a, a transformation. There was moral change that went with this. Repent, turn from sin. I think if, if baptisms were being used up, in, up until this point, could have been used as sort of a purification rite for the Gentiles coming into Judaism. But for John, this baptism wasn't just for the Gentile, it was also for the Jew. Jew and Gentile needed to confess their sin, acknowledge their need. So they're looking for you know, a powerful king, some mighty warrior who would come to topple Rome, restore the Jews. But John says they need to, they need to look here first. They need to look at their hearts. And he uses this picture and ceremony of baptism to show this. God, God uses things like this, external signs through the prophet to show renewal, to show cleansing. To show that this is, this is a work that only He can do. Like the prophets in the Old Testament. John is calling the people to repentance. He's calling the, the Jew, the name only Jew, to actually 
turn to the faith of Abraham. I mean, here the Jews should know better coming to John. They should know what is required. That even that the circumcision of their bodies is more than just an identification and being part of a certain ethnic group. The circumcision of their bodies has always been to move them, to move their hearts and compel them to serve. Compel them to love. So to fully trust and to follow the Lord in faith. Later in His, his earthly ministry, Jesus would say this to the Jews who were tagging along. He said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So those people coming to John may be ethnic children of Abraham, but if they are true children of Abraham, then the faith of Abraham must be theirs. This is the circumcision of the heart. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So baptism is a marker then pointing to the cleansing work of God. In this sign, God makes a pledge to deliver. To follow through on His promise to all those who, like Abraham, repent and put their faith in Him. So that again, the physical ceremonies intended to, to facilitate that spiritual blessing. It's true of circumcision, ritual washing, Changing the status from unclean to clean intended to move the heart in that same direction. Moral purity. Uh, there's nothing in the biblical story from the Old Testament you know, into the New Testament covenant in Christ that stops what these external ceremonies are intended uh, to communicate. So as we go to the waters of baptism, as we go to the table here in just a few minutes, um, our hearts are to Follow. Be strengthened in faith and purity. So John's baptism pointed forward to salvation in Jesus. The baptism that he will ultimately provide in his blood. Baptism today points back to salvation accomplished through the blood of Jesus. So whether it's pointing forward or pointing back, the promise of God is the same to those who repent and follow him in faith. Now, I can't help at this point to, to think of what a tremendous privilege it is to be raised in a Christian home among the covenant community of God's people. And this is God's design from the very beginning. Uh, that men and women should bear godly offspring. But even those who are raised under the covenant promises of God, you know, in, in a home, in a believing home, they must affirm the promises of that covenant. They must embrace the promises for themselves. So no one can just you know, ride the faith of their parents unto salvation. This faith must be a repentant faith that says, yes, I too want to follow Christ. I too believe the promises of God. They are for me as well. And I too will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So if there's any passage that speaks against baptism as being sufficient for salvation, um, this is it. Uh, there must be a heart of repentance. So we hear this call to repentance, to bear fruit 
and keeping, uh, not just a one-time deal. This baptism is uh, you know, a call, the, the baptism and a call to holy living are something that go hand in hand. Um, true repentance is going to produce this fruit. Uh, true repentance and faith is a, a renewal, it's a reformation of our, our desires, what it is we value. So John is calling the people to, to align with this, align with God's purposes, their allegiances to Him. So when they hear this message that really the judgment of God will fall upon them if they refuse to repent, uh, that's verse 9, then they ask the question, what, what do we do? What do we do? And three different groups of people ask John the question. Um, so he gives them... Uh, this answer, if, if you believe that you are forgiven, if God has given you new life, then you must respond in turn. You must give. Uh, your lives will be characterized by generosity. See this in the life of uh, Bishop Nicholas in the 4th century. Uh, Nicholas was known for being generous. He would collect these gifts and pack these gifts for children and, um, and load them onto ships in the Mediterranean, which is right up against the, the city where he served. Um, and so sailors would take these gifts around the Mediterranean and share about the generosity of Nicholas. And so he became more and more uh, well-known. And we're not exactly sure when Nicholas died. We believe it was in early December but by this time, he was legendary. There were churches named after him. Um, he was, you know, Bishop Nicholas became Saint Nicholas uh, with a feast day around his um, death. And now, of course, that legend has grown and morphed into what we know of as uh, Santa Claus or that, that character. But Nicholas was a generous man who, who gave from a heart of gratitude to God. And so to the tax collectors, John says, Real repentance means stop stealing from people. It goes hand in hand. Stop feeding your greed. To the soldiers, stop you know, throwing your muscle around and intimidating people. A life of repentance means living truthfully, being content with what God provides. Now notice John does not tell the tax collectors or the soldiers to stop being tax collectors and soldiers. You know, go find a new career if you're going to follow through with this baptism. He doesn't do that. He tells them to be on guard against the common temptations and practices of their particular profession. They are now to respond differently. They have different values, different moral compass. So, so bring that closer to home as a church for yourself. True repentance requires a change in attitude. Behavior. Think about where God has placed you. This season of life that you're in, the profession that you enjoy or that you hope to enjoy someday. What are the common practices that you may need to stand against? Or that you may need to, to support and stand for if they're honest and honoring to God? As we have been redeemed and reformed by the power of God, we are to be those reforming agents in the places that He's called us. So are we hearing John's song? Are we bearing fruit in keeping 
with repentance. Genuine repentance is humble. It's teachable. Genuine repentance is patient with ourselves and with others. Eager to show that there's been a change in us. We desire to do what's right. Genuine repentance is willing to, is willing to name sin as sin. And to confess even when there may be serious consequences. Genuine repentance is comforted by the grace of God in Christ, not simply being free from whatever consequences may come as a result of sin. Whew, I'm glad I got out of that. No, genuine repentance is, is turning to Christ, reevaluating. So let's pray that these signs of repentance you know, are more and more evident in us, in us as a church, as we go into this new year. So I've mentioned the false expectations, confusion uh, surrounding John and his message. Um, but again, he's well known. Uh, the Gospel of John, so the Apostle this time, he tells us that, that John was highly esteemed by many folks. I mean, he literally was the man. Weird, but he was still the man. Um, so we're not terribly surprised by what we read here in verse uh, 15. You know, they, they had this, this reputation, his He's renowned to the point where people are ready to, to follow. They're ready to go where he leads. But John then redirects their desires, redirects their expectations. He says, no, I am not the man. I'm here to tell you to prepare your hearts for the man, the God-man. You think I'm the man. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not worthy to be the lowest of slaves to the one who is coming. So there's an important lesson for us there as well. Sometimes we need our, our thought patterns uh, reset. We need to be redirected from sort of hobby horses, platforms, uh, fan clubs, um, to the very heart of the matter, back to Christ. I think that there's no better time for this than, than now, starting you know, into this new year. We, we live in a time of such you know, celebrity culture. Uh, we, have, we have celebrity pop artists, pop singers, writers, popular preachers. And so it is easy to sort of fall in line and, and march to the beat of that particular drum or you know, hang on every word from that person or this group. And so if we're not careful, and this usually takes a little bit of time, we start believing that he's the man or she's the woman or whatever. So our allegiance is not so much to Christ and the truth of his word, but to that popular personality or movement. I think of this year. We're moving into an election year. All of the you know, platform uh, agenda items, slogans, banners, and if, if you say this or this is said or you think that, well, then you must align with this person or that person. How that's going to just be so divisive. Um, we need to be watchful for this. Keeping our gaze upon Christ. Anchored upon His Word. Um, so the one who is coming is mightier. Uh, baptism of John. Preparing uh, for the baptism that He will provide. By the Holy Spirit and fire. The language there towards the end. Leads us to believe, we're still talking about one baptism. 
but a baptism that may have very differing uh, results. And when Luke uses the term fire, it's almost always associated with judgment. And he goes right back to that in verse 17 with the unquenchable fire of final judgment, um, which he's already alluded to at the end of verse 9. So it, it seems that this baptism, the baptism that Jesus brings, could be that the purifying fire of the Spirit, which you see on display as you go into Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, could also be the fire of judgment. Luke 12, Jesus is uh, speaking to His disciples. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and with that it were already kindled. So the one who repents and trusts and receives the blessing of the Spirit, but the hardened and unrepentant heart can only expect fire, unquenchable fire of God's just judgment. So with these words, John is, is redirecting to one more renowned than himself. The kingdom of God is present in Jesus. And judgment comes with the arrival of this king. Judgment for rebellion and treason against his majesty, against his holiness, designed for humanity. The king has come in the flesh, first as a little one squirming in a manger, but now he's carrying himself on two feet. He is near. And so John is going to he's going to fade into the background till a little bit later but this this section ends by saying that he continued to preach good news to the people good news to the people does that sound familiar from anything we've read over the last few weeks the angels brought good news of great joy so the songs of the season the coming of this king but you think is this really good news there's a lot of warning here that we've read. A lot of words of judgment coming out of John's mouth. It doesn't sound like very good news. But church, we need to cling to this truth. This is very good news because God has not forgotten. He has visited His people with redemption. Forgiveness is possible. The consequences of your sin, of my sin, they're not irreversible. I mean, this is the best news for any who, who are asking the question, like, like the people, well, what do we do now? What does it look like to live in light of this baptism? For those who aren't asking that question, who are seeing Jesus but don't see Him, who live with no fear of God before their eyes, it, it, then it's not very good news. This is the genuine fright of Christmas that I mentioned a few weeks ago. With this child first in a stable, now making his way through the countryside as a contemporary of John the Baptist, God has shown up. Um, so the wait is over. And that, that places, places a sense of urgency in John's voice in this message. I mean, the hearts of many will be revealed. We heard from Simeon. Indeed, the hearts of all will be exposed. This is good news to all men, but it comes with a warning. Have you, heard, have you heard that this Christmas season? Going into this new year, are you seeing Jesus with eyes of repentant faith and not just seeing Him? The wheat is gathered, but the chaff is burned. Where will the darkness of your heart go when it's exposed by the light? 
of the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So hear, hear the song of salvation. Turn to Jesus. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's pray together and then we'll go to the table. Lord God, we pray that we would be those who respond to you with repentance and faith. And that the waters of baptism would show us and incline our hearts to you, O Christ, who have baptized us with your very blood. Lord, we pray that you would continue to feed us at this table as you have fed us through your word. Show us our Savior. Strengthen the, the bond, the unity that we have with the Lord Jesus. Lord, may we be those who live in repentant faith every day of this new year. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.